Welcome to the North Texas District Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast from and for those of us serving Jesus in the North Texas District of the Assemblies of God. So good day to you, friends. I hope you're having a good summer so far. Hope you're maybe finding some time to get away with your family. Uh, I want to jump right in today to part one of a two-week series with Pastor Jeremy Yancey of Timber Creek Church in Lufkin. Uh, Timber Creek Church is moving to a multi-site strategy right now. We talk about some different things that I think you're really going to enjoy and benefit from. Initially, whenever we sat down, I had questions for and every intention of focusing solely on staff dynamics. And so Jeremy had uh, come in having thought about the different values that sort of drive his staff, and this is what we plan to discuss. I asked him a question as we got in to talk a little bit about his uh, history at what was First Assembly Lufkin, now Timber Creek, and we interestingly began to get into some things that I thought deserved their own episode. And so that's what we did. We ended up talking one episode about pastoral succession, and then another episode about staff values. We also got into a few different things in this first one as well. Little bitty apology before we get in. I hate to mention it, but audio quality. We did this in person in a little studio there on his campus, and what happened was we apparently had a smoke detector going out or something out in the hallway. We did not hear that while we were recording. Nonetheless, it picks up distantly in the audio. So I thought, of course, though, that the content was good enough. Couldn't dream of scrapping it and not using the episode. I think you're going to get out a lot out of it. So here is part one, an interview with Jeremy Yancey. Okay, so this episode, I'm sitting down with Jeremy Yancey. Jeremy's the lead pastor of Timber Creek Church here in Lufkin, Texas. We're actually sitting in a little studio in the annex of campus here, and uh, it's fantastic, beautiful facilities, by the way, Jeremy. Thank you, thank you. And so Timber Creek is actually a newish name, but this church has been around for an incredibly long time. Tell us a little bit about the history of uh, First Assembly in Lufkin, now Timber Creek. Yeah, sure. Uh, Thanks for having me, and it's an honor to be with you, and I love what you're doing at the district and everything that uh, the district is doing to help empower uh, leaders take next steps. Um, Timber Creek Church, uh, the name change took place in 2017. Um, We had just turned 90 years old and uh, I can explain a little bit about why the name change uh, in a moment, but uh, we had been First Assembly or Lufkin First Assembly uh, now for 92 years uh, existing as a church. It started in 1927 in a tent, an incredible uh, incredible roster. Of 1927. Great yeah. That's amazing. Nuts. And you know, I mean, we had our share of some, some crazy things, uh, but the God helped us survive. And, you know, I think every church has to deal with a deacon possessed church every once in a while. It happens. It happens. <laughs> uh, but we had some fantastic, uh, pastors and, uh, I had the privilege of being on staff for nine years, uh, under pastor Andy Saligay. When he transitioned to retirement, we planned out a succession plan and a transition in 2014 in the summer is when that, that took place. And then, uh, so taking over the church, becoming the pastor of the church as we were 88 years old, one of the first things I did was take, uh, take a weekend. We, we call them dog days, but D-A-W-G, days alone with God. And I took some dog days and just really wanting to hear what God had for the church. I got a lot of ideas, but I come back to Proverbs 2019. Uh, I like the message paraphrase, but the Proverbs 2019 says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. Yeah. But if they attend to what he reveals, they're most blessed. 
And what I, what I felt like we were doing in some respects of ministry, we were uh, just kind of doing whatever sounded good at the time. And then we were asking God to bless it. And we really wanted to reverse that trend and say, God, what do you want to bless? That's what we'll do. In fact, if we will do what you are revealing, there's really no reason why God who wants you to do a certain thing wouldn't bless mm. what you're doing when you're doing what he's invited you to do. And so at 88, I, I took the pastorate and I say this to set up why we're now Timber Creek Church. Yeah. That uh, in those time alone, there in a little Galveston condo, and I really do believe it was a God moment. I was drawn to the story of Abram and Sarai. And uh, there was this moment where, um, you know, the Lord tells Abram, Sarah's going to give birth. And uh, sure enough, the Lord really deposited in me the idea that um, even though you're 88 years old, when you turn 90, uh, I, I, you're going to be more active and more fertile and ready to, uh, bear children at, at 90 years old, just like Sarah. Oh, that's and powerful. so we began to cast vision for, uh, and felt a heart. It's not for everybody and, and, and it, nor should it be, um, a cookie cutter thing, but we felt like we needed to be in East Texas, one church with with many homes or one house with many rooms, one church in more than one location. And so we felt that uh, when we turned 90, we were going to begin to give birth to a multi-site strategy. And in order to do that in other cities around Lufkin, it'd be really difficult to be Lufkin First Assembly in Nacogdoches. Right. And so because of that, and because of the forest country, the timber country of East Texas, and because of Psalm 1, that that person who's blessed uh, is like a tree planted by rivers of water that bringeth forth fruit, his leaf doesn't wither, right. whatever they do prosper. Based on Psalm 1 as, a, as, as really a, a catalyst verse and also the geography. And also because we wanted to be in more than one location, we changed the name to Lufkin First, from Lufkin First Assembly to Timber Creek Church. Still Assembly of God, love our roots. Uh, but now we're able to kind of go in and have a wider open door right. uh, within our city. And not only this city, this zip code and city limits, but uh, way beyond uh, this area. So mm -hmm. that's that's part of our story of the name change. That's really great. I want to, even as we're starting here, go yeah. off path a little bit because you talked about uh, things God has has blessed and getting in on God's blessing. You mentioned the plan for succession that you and your previous pastor had developed and come up with. I feel like even that is a level of strategy that probably needs to be thought more through sure. in, in churches. And not that, not that um, you're handing out templates today as we're sharing what the Lord has <laughs> done in and through, but, but just say this, I think by way of honoring the man who passed the torch to you, what did he do? Right? Because I, I've known you for a long time. You've, you've been a, a high capacity guy with the hand of God, obviously on you for a long time. He obviously trusted you and saw something in you. What did he do right? As you guys began to look forward together and think about what it could look like if uh, he stepped out of his vocational ministry anyway, yeah. and passed that on to you. Well, yeah, I, um, I can't say enough things that I want to try to say as many things that would honor my predecessor. He is, uh, bringing me on at a young age. I became the executive pastor. I was 26 years old when he hired me. I was the youngest except one person on staff, youngest person on the team, but he saw something in me. And not only did he see that in me, then he released ridiculous ownership of things. 
uh, ridiculous responsibility that that I had to fail. But he also created an environment that it was okay uh, to he was okay to be stretched. He was not threatened. Um, and I tried to do my part on my side of, of the baton pass. Number one, we didn't talk about baton pass on day one. I mean, nine years of talking about baton right. passing would be unbelievably yeah. crazy Awkward, and chaotic weird. and and it caused friction. Uh, I came to be the best second chair I could be mm -hmm. uh, to make him the best first chair he could be. And that was my goal. It wasn't until about 36 months before the um, the finish of the transition that I felt released to dream about the first chair and he was feeling released to um, think about stepping down from that chair. It's like any kind of relay. You've got the transition zone and you've got to figure out that beautiful rhythm between the person running up to you into the transition zone that owns the baton. They, you don't own the baton until they've completely released the baton. But right. there is this moment where he's reaching it out and you're reaching back and you're saying, give me the baton. Said, I'm trying to give you the baton. And then you, you're both on it and you're saying, okay, do I let go now? Okay. Do I hang on now? <laughs> uh, all of that. And, and, and I think he would be great with me saying it's not a cut and dry, simplistic process. It took a lot of work. It took a lot of trust, a lot of faith, a lot of agreements and disagreements, a lot of putting things down on paper so that he could understand one way that I could understand. And then we did that in community, him, myself, and our uh, seven person deacon team. So in community, we made that decision. There were times in that where the, the road got bumpy, uh, mm -hmm. where we felt like, uh Oh, you know, maybe he felt like, Oh, is this what I want to do? Uh, like as he's releasing the baton, like, Oh, does he have it? And I was thinking, Hey, Sure. Are you going to release it now? And the deacon team's there wanting to, you know, serve and support. And how do we do this? And, and there were challenges that came with that. But what was beautiful is maintaining open communication, talking about it. And we actually, we set, uh, I know this podcast isn't about this, but I know this is a big deal in the future. It really is. Uh, we set a once a week meeting that was one and a half hours and we simply, if we didn't have much to say, it was a 20 minute meeting, but it was 90 minutes set aside to simply say, how are you doing? How are things going? Let's look back at the calendar. We had a, a very specific strategic prayed over uh, timeline. We fasted and prayed as community. Um, uh, when I say community, I mean that deacon team, him and his wife, me and my wife. Um, we fasted, we prayed, we wrestled, we, um, we clarified things. If something wasn't clear, we worked together as a team to make it clear. That takes unbelievable humility on the person letting go. Absolutely. And, and, and it has to take unbelievable trust of, in the person letting go. Then on the other side, it takes patience and love and flexibility on the side and on the person that's hanging, that's that's getting ready to take on. You're ready to go. You, you're, you've given, been given permission to dream. You, you're going to do things different. Otherwise, there really wouldn't be an absolute need for there to be a transition. Things are going to look different. Right. Um, and you have to bring what God's called you to bring. Uh and, uh, you know, you don't put Saul's armor on. David has to approach the battlefield in a way that's him with his stones mm -hmm. and with his sling. And as much as, as Saul, and I'm not referring to the negativities of Saul, I'm just talking about transition here. 
Saul has to be Saul, David's David, Solomon, Solomon. And we have to kind of be able to navigate those nuances over time. And I would say, if anybody's looking for the biggest, um, what were the biggest learning moments in that whole lot of great books you can read and talk to a person that will help you through it, maybe a consultant. But I would say this, make sure you have the pastor and his spouse or her spouse and the uh, successor and his or her spouse together in the room around a table talking about that consistently. Um, yes. Because if they're out of the room and they're not involved in the conversation, you just never know how things can get lost in translation after you've had a 90 minute meeting talking things through and maybe even things got sideways, but then you were able to come back when you take that home and you try and retranslate a 90 minute talk. I mean, that's tough for me. Right. And, and, and so having the the family in the room, the and wife in the room or the spouse, because that, that transition is happening together. Yeah. It's, it's not just it's, the pastor. No, it, it, it is, is his wife. It's yes. his family. If they have kids still at home, it is everybody's involved in that sucker and you better do your part yeah. to make sure that communication is key. Preemptive communication is so much easier than defense of communication. It's like casting vision for something. I think sometimes people cast vision so fast and say, we're going to do this. And, and then they have to spend a lot of time on defensive communication of why they've made this change versus taking a little bit more time on the front end to communicate preemptive, uh, you know, here's some questions you might have and thinking through these questions and answering those questions not getting stalled out in the details, you still got to run, but, but, but preemptively answering questions before the trigger is pulled help, helps you, uh, I think, more set a pace and keep that pace after, after you've made a decision, especially a big one like, like a succession plan or transition. Well, I, th I think that question is so important. And the reason I wanted to ask that was because as you, as you mentioned that, you know, our, our big target as a district is a thousand healthy churches. And so of course to get there and, and very much the sexy thing right now, church planting, church planting, church planting. But currently we're at 600 and something churches that have been there for, that have been there for years. Mm -hmm. Um, properties and staff have been sacrificed for prayed for yeah. and for a church to be 90 something years old and still fruitful in whatever era it extends to to be is a really powerful thing and the fact that it doesn't happen all the time yeah. i think says something important about what's happened here even though we said we're not handing out templates today but i think that but i think that it needs to be definitely a more consistent thing that how we're going to move on from an assignment and hand this thing off and set some man or woman, some family up for success, I think needs to probably get more attention than it commonly does because we all sometimes tend to think we're going to be there for forever and we'll yeah, never be anywhere forever. Every single one of us are interim pastors, whether we like it or not, we yeah. are all temporary. At some point, somebody's going to transition and it may be uh, by choice. It may be by um, sickness. It may be by, you know, in sickness and in health for better or for worse stuff's going to happen. And, uh, having a, having a plan is not unbiblical. Having a plan is a beautiful thing. Very biblical thing. Uh, I, I, you know, something that I think sometimes gets lost in the shuffle here is you can be so strategic. You lose like where, well, what is the spirit of God saying? And I, I think that the same way, you know, I, I think that strategy is very spiritual. And I think that supernatural is obviously spiritual. We see that happen at the very beginning of, of the word of God in, in the story of creation, 
this incredible supernatural activity for six days that we now get to enjoy everything God built in those days supernaturally. But then strategically, he takes a day off. He didn't have to. He's God. He doesn't have to rest. Strategically, it's a very spiritual thing he does. And he shows us that there has to be just as much strategic thinking and supernatural thinking. Those are both spiritual things. And I believe that there are churches that avoid something that feels like a business plan. And I'm saying, don't, don't throw out the, the supernatural prayer, supplication, the seeking God, the prayer and fasting. The supernatural piece of our transition was just as critical as the strategic piece. And the strategic piece was just as critical as the supernatural. They were like two, two rails of a train track, one without the other. Uh, you may get down the road a little bit, but it's not going to end where you want it to end. You need both. Right. And I think that, I mean, prophecy itself, the fact that God predicts some things prophetically shows that strategy is itself supernatural. Yeah. That plans can be birthed out of powerful moments with the Holy Spirit mm -hmm. and that it's not the antithesis, but that one really can be birthed out of the other. Yeah, it's a right hand and a left hand clapping together. And, and so we had the supernatural piece and the strategic piece. And I would just encourage pastors out there that are trying to figure out what am I going to do after this? I, you know, I had a conversation with a pastor the other day at coffee and they were struggling with where they go next. And they were in their sixties and they were saying, I love what I'm doing, but I'm, I'm also wanting to not do this forever. And, and you know, how do you do that? And I was fortunate to have a church that we had the resources available that there could be more than one person on staff. And for a pastor who's a solo hero pastor in my book, let alone someone who's a bivocational pastor that is rocking and rolling, having to manage one side of, of the life uh, vocation, and then also give, uh, just as much effort and energy and prayer and sweat into the local church. How do they do that without having someone, you know, they can't meet for 90 minutes every week or, or at least they don't feel like they can. And, and I would just give some quick advice to that person that's looking to transition that, that I think one of the best things you could do is have a pastor take the longest vacation he's ever taken. Uh, if they've never taken a sabbatical, take a sabbatical, take a, a five Five weeks off from the pulpit. Uh, if, if you've already done that, take eight weeks off. Hand off as much stuff to that associate pastor or that 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 team that you have that are volunteers, but maybe one of them could become a leader in the church, whatever. You have to hand on that. You force leadership to rise to the occasion. You take off. You don't check your email. You let the thing. And, you know, it's not if it's been around for a few years, like if it's been around for 90 years like like us. It's not going to all crumble in, in six weeks. I, I'm not that good <laughs> that right. if I leave yeah. for six weeks, it's not going to all crumble. Yeah. I'm not that good. And I'm not, and, and my team is, Ooh. is not that bad that things are going to crumble. They're incredible. In fact, they, they really set the pace. But then when I, I recently took a few weeks off from the pulpit, gave all responsibilities. When I came back, there were some tennis balls that I just let them have that I was juggling that I just, realized I don't need to have that anymore. Things I like to do, things I can do, and I can do decently well. As I handed that off, I realized, man, I can hand more things off and I actually can do more of what only I can do because I realized in that vacuum of me not being here, 
they ran. They not only ran, they excelled. They climbed mountains. They made some decisions that I would have wanted to be involved in, but they made it because they had to. And I loved it. And it, made, it, it was probably 85% of what I would have done. And that 15%, I didn't even have to stress about it. And so for a pastor that's looking to maybe transition, one way to begin to start that process would be step back, take an extended time off, give preaching opportunity to someone you trust, have extra speakers come in, whatever, give the internal responsibilities to that, to that leadership team or that pastor to lead. And then when you come back, let them keep some of those things. Yeah. And if you do that over the course of two or three years, it'd be amazing how smooth now that they've already gotten, they felt the weight. Nobody really feels the weight of the mantle of the pastor. Right. Yep. You start feeling that weight when you're out and then they can start taking steps. I, we're not even talking about succession today, but um, maybe that'll maybe that'll help somebody. I think it will. And uh, honestly, Jeremy, we're close to having an episode here. So, let, <laughs> yeah. so let's let's just hang here and sure. um, and we're going to get two episodes out of today anyway. But let's spend the next few minutes um, what you tapped on there. They usually don't feel the weight. I think that very frequently we underestimate what is in somebody. Uh, one of my mentors taught me whenever I was coming up, he said responsibility is miracle grow. And that mm. whenever you hand something to That's somebody, good. even beyond what they can carry, they get stronger to carry it. Responsibility is miracle grow. And so a lot of times we, we, um, we forget how long it took us to become competent in the things that God has called us to. And we forget that at one point it was just as much of a gamble to trust us with a sermon or with whatever. But, um, you remember that, like trying to figure out how to preach that five minute sermon at fine arts or whatever. Oh like, yeah. yeah. How can I come up with five minutes? Dear God, if, if I could preach five minutes, they would they would kiss me and give me a raise if I preached for five minutes yeah. on Sunday. And you know, honestly, whenever you're training somebody young to preach, one of the greatest things to do is to give them portions of a Sunday morning even, because honestly, they, at least this was my experience, I was as good in 10 as I could be in 30 because I didn't have much experience or yeah. much to say. But if I got to pinch hit within a message for 10 minutes or so, my pastor could both bat lead off and clean up and make sure I didn't burn the place down. And then we could debrief some after it. But that gave me some weight to prepare for. And, um, and it gave me some reps. And so often we don't feel like we have anyone to hand anything off to, but really we haven't made any room for them in the rotation along the way, which is really the only way to develop somebody's gifting is to, at some point, we've got to trust them enough to give them the opportunity to use their gift. I know we're talking a lot of preaching here, but of course, that's across the kingdom spectrum. Sitting down, if you have, if you happen to have a staff and, and whether they're paid, uh, every church has a staff. Paid or not, every church has a staff. Someone's making coffee. Someone's coming and unlocking the doors. It may be just the pastor or it may be two or three people. There are some churches where the pastor is the whole staff and he's playing piano or guitar or the wife or whatever, the, or the spouse, and uh, they're doing everything. That, that, I mean, that, is a, that is a burnout waiting to happen. Um, you bet but there are Most churches, regardless of size, have a staff. And I know that most pastors would say nobody understands the mantle, the weight. Like I, I, I told this to a, a mentor friend of mine. I, I said to them, I, I didn't realize that whole mantle that floats from Elijah down to Elisha that it didn't float. It fell like it was made of bricks Yeah. and, and nobody really realizes once you take the senior pastor, how heavy that it's not cloth, it's a brick mantle and, and it's a heavy mantle. But you know what? Just because they don't understand doesn't mean they can't understand. And if you can 
help them understand by releasing responsible ownership, saying, I want to get it done exactly like this. In fact, delegation is one of the, the, the most um, misused word. We, mm-hmm. we, we don't have, we have delegation, but we don't really have effective delegation. Mm-hmm. We have delegation, but then we don't follow up with it or we have dumping and then nobody wants to be dumped upon. Right. Um, and uh, man, if you'll let me run this, I, there's, there's an acrostic. Um, I've heard some different statements from different places, but I put together a little acrostic that helps our team for delegating things. Yeah, bring and, it. and for me as a senior pastor, handing more of these things off, there's levels of delegation that, that, that you can hand off. Uh, and it's great delegation, G-R-E-A-T. The very first level of delegation is G, and it's this. The, the G stands for get it done exactly like this. That's how you delegate. Get it done exactly like this. The R is a little bit deeper level. Um, research this, report back, I'll make a decision. So that's the R mm-hmm. in great delegation. E, explore options and suggest what we should do and we'll decide together. A is act on this and let me know what you decided. And then T, take total ownership. Mm-hmm. Don't report back. So there are some things, shame on a pastor for saying, take total ownership of this. Right. When they should have said, get it done exactly like this. Right. They're not ready for level five, which is the T. They're ready for G, if even that. But as we give responsibility, give it in layers. And I think that's a really easy, you know, the great delegation from get it done like this to take total ownership. As a pastor releases that responsibility mm-hmm. at different layers, it's amazing how you see people rise to the occasion that you really, you get surprised like, wow, you did a pretty good job at that. I didn't, you know, I really didn't expect my 10 year old to be able to clean out the garage until I told him, Hey, I want you to clean out the garage and here are the four things that I want you to do. And I want you to do them in this order. And when I came back into that garage, that 10 year old had cleaned that garage pretty good. Right. I mean, not right. exactly how I would have done yeah. it, but good enough that I didn't have to do it on a Saturday. Yep. And, and then I gave him more responsibility after he did it like, like that. Mm. So that's fantastic. Well, Jeremy, thank you for being with us today. I'll tell you what, we're going to get two episodes out of this here hangout. And so I think this is episode one. So if, if you were listening friends, boy, we, did we cover a gamut? We've helped everyone work out a secession plan. We've helped people learn how to delegate. Really, we brought, I think, too much value to, to one episode. <laughs> We're so valuable today. Now, you know, too much value is no value, but I will say this is probably the Golden Corral podcast. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> this is the Golden Corral portion of the podcast. Well, hey, friends, thanks for being with us today. And um, on next week's edition of the old podcast, we're going to... We're going to do it here in about seven seconds, but we're going to focus on uh, staff and team dynamics, sort of the culture code of you and your leadership team, your staff, if you're fortunate enough to have one on the old payroll with you. So thanks for being here, friends, and uh, we pray God's blessing on you as you give another week serving Jesus and his bride, the local church.